Good morning. Thanks, Josh. John, are we all good? We're all good. Okay. Um, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Um, over the last several months, I've appreciated um, Brother Jonathan's ministry on what different people have different words for, it, but basically on New Testament principles and what we see in Scripture. And I appreciate the intentionality of this local body attempting to follow a good number of the principles. Um, we're, we're not perfect. I don't think anyone here would express that we, they think we're perfect. Um, there's always more to learn and always more to grow, always ways to grow. Um, but I really appreciate the opportunity of practicing what I see in Scripture. And, uh, you know, most of you know that um, I was not raised going to a church like this. Um, I was saved at the age of 25 and um, attended a Pentecostal church prior to 1994 when I came here. And I have continually thought of myself as someone new um, and realized that it's been, it'll be 30 years. <laughs> and I'm probably one of the more senior, not oldest, but one of the more longest attending persons here. Uh, of course, there's a couple families that, uh, that preceded that, but um, a lot of people have come and gone. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity of worshiping according to New Testament principles. And one of the things I want to look at this morning is we're just we're going to skip through the book of Acts uh, and look at a couple passages, well, more than a couple, but we're going to skip through the book of Acts and look at how, the, how God, and that's an important thing, how God caused the church to grow. Um, I was thinking about the fact that and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is correct. I'll, I'll ask our historian. But this assembly, like the, the, the saints gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in Allentown, is more than 100 years old. Is that not correct, Mr. Kutz? Probably. Yeah, right? You, you were there at the beginning, right? And <laughs> so that would have been 1924. Well, you, well, your parents would have been, right? Weren't they here near the beginning? No. No? Okay. But 1800 something? Yeah, so it's more than 100 years old. Um, and we can look at that in one of two ways. Or we can look at it in both ways, right? One, the sustaining power or the sustainability of doing things the Lord's way, right? Like think about what's not around after 100 years. I spent um, a couple years as a consultant at Bethlehem Steel, helping them shut down their bar rod and wire division. You know, Bethlehem Steel was a stalwart company in the, in the Lehigh Valley, obviously, right? It's no longer here. Dick probably worked for about seven banks that no longer exist, right? Like they just get gobbled up and rolled up into a lot of things. So over 100 years, it's pretty impressive that this body having met in several different ways in several or seven different places still exists. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is over a hundred years and we're probably still close to the same size we were a hundred years ago. Like I, I came in 1994 and the faces have changed, but we're 
about the same size-ish, right? And so, uh, again, we can look at that and say, is that something that we would expect from the New Testament? Um, and, and it's hard to answer that question with yes or no. Um, what we can do is we can look at the New Testament and watch how God caused the church to grow and observe how he caused the church to grow. Because one of the things that, I, that, that goes back to the hundred year thing, if it's man causing the church to grow, it will eventually fail. Because men are fickle. Um, and what we want today will be different than what we want tomorrow. And so what the church provides, if the church is providing what men and women want, it's going to ebb and flow and increase and decrease, and it's going to look very different, and it's not going to be sustainable. And I've seen that. I've, I've actually consulted for a large a multi-campus church in the area who struggle with the fact that they can't keep people coming back because they're looking for more and more and more really flesh-appealing things. So it's, it's you know, we want to make sure that whatever we do, however we do it, and where we get our inspiration is from the Word of God. That's the only thing that will sustain a church, is the Word of God and following the principles that are there. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we're going to see, uh, I mean, this is not an unfamiliar verse. And I'm not going to cover the principles in the same way that Brother Jonathan did. Um, perhaps he'll, he has an open topic in two weeks from now. Perhaps he'll have a, another principle to cover. But... Um, what I want to look more at is the historical component of how God used the church and, look, and looking at that. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, that's the church, the people that were just saved um, after listening to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's a lot packed into those six verses, right? The first thing in Acts 2.42, and, and this is kind of, you know, it's hard to, the, the brethren movement, small b, small m, um, looks different in many different ways, in many different parts of the country, and, and many different aspects of, of the world as well. But this kind of is a theme verse or a thesis verse, if you will, Acts 2.42. The, the four pillars of activity of the early church are, are laid out here for us. The apostles' teaching, which is, of course, right now what's taking place. Like having a session where uh, those that are gifted in teaching the word of God have an opportunity of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. Where apostles' teaching is a focus, a foundation, a foundational activity. The fellowship. And if you look at verses 43 through 46, we see an example of New Testament fellowship. Now, this evolved over time. If you get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, people weren't selling their stuff. They were sharing what they had. But there is an essence, and we unfortunately, 
we live at a time where we are independent, we are able to be independent of each other. We all have our own health insurance, we all have our own life insurance, we all have our own this and we all have our own that. And um, we are able to kind of live independently of each other and I'm not sure that's always a good thing. I'm pretty sure it's not always a good thing. There's a value and a benefit to sharing what we have with one another. Uh, we were at an assembly last um, Sunday, and we were invited to the home of uh, Sid and Margaret Bott, and along with uh, us was some other visitors to that assembly. They happened to be um, relatives of Samantha, and, um, and they were at the table, and the Botts found out that they didn't have a hotel for the night, um, and instantly they invited them to stay at their house. Like, it was just like stay here you know like not only will we feed you but we'll house you like there's an op when you when you have an opportunity of sharing what you have the breaking of bread we had that opportunity this morning from 9 15 to 10 15 ish where you come together for the sole purpose of following one of the few exhortations we have in scripture new testament christianity has a lot of freedom but there's two things the lord told us to do Remember him in the breaking of the bread and be baptized, right? Those are two things that are rituals, if you will, of the New Testament church. And if, and if you look at the professing Christianity, how quickly they can, we can, detract from that or diverge from that, where very few places have a regular remembrance of the Lord Jesus in the breaking of bread. And I don't, know, I don't know how much baptism is taught elsewhere. But you can see that um, component of it and prayers. And of course, we. this is talking about communal prayer or corporate prayer. And we now have an opportunity to do that specifically, intentionally on Wednesday nights. Um, but also, of course, it's so easy today with um, Jake and John sending out prayer requests. Um, the ladies have a prayer uh, chat on text messages if the guys tried to do that they would all we would all just ignore each other so but the ladies are good at, at, at actually responding to one another so it's it's a it's a good thing but we can easily pray for one another right we can easily pray for one another these were the things that the early church focused on and again i think we would do well in recognizing that God hasn't really changed this. There are other things that benefit the local body. There are other things that benefit us as individuals. Um, many people in this assembly are involved in camp work. That's a benefit to the Lord's people. But it should not detract from the local assembly uh, obligations and responsibilities and benefits as well. Many people are involved in outreach, but it shouldn't detract from or subtract from. Many people are involved in things like the youth events and stuff like that. All good, all beneficial, but we need to keep our eye on the foundational activities of the local assembly. We need to keep focused. Why? Because it's biblical. Secondly, when you go through all of this, the last sentence where I paused before reading it, and the Lord added to their number day by day. So I think we can... Now... You, one could argue, is it causal or is it just relational? Um, but I think it's causal. Like the Lord is doing this. And we saw in First Peter too, um, where, you know, we saw the phrase born again being used twice. 
and it caused us to be born again, right? Like God is sovereign and directional. Like he makes things happen. It's not just that he responds to what's going on in our life. He makes things happen. He makes things happen. And so if he's going to cause the growth, we have to follow his growth plan, if you will. And that would be to focus on these four things in Acts 2.42. Turn with me to Acts 6. It's really interesting when you go through the book of Acts and you see this pattern and you begin to, you know, God did not leave us without any help or direction. He gave us his word. He gave us his revelation from Genesis to the book of Revelation. There's a progressive revelation of God's plan, right? A progressive revelation of God's plan, revealing his plan for his son to be our savior and revealing his plan for how he's going to deal with his created beings over in time, right? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, that's a good problem to have. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a meeting here and saying, okay, we're so big that we need X. Like that we need additional help, right? Or something like that. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned, that's the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, and what they said was, pleased the whole gathering, my apologies, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, parentheses Jewish, became obedient to the faith. So here we see again, jumping to verse 7, the Lord is doing something in the early church. The Lord is causing a, a multiplication of the disciples in Jerusalem. Not just addition, not just adding ones and twos, but a multiplication, meaning it's doubling. It's increasing exponentially, if you will. Now, what, ha what caused that growth at this particular time? So we see in verse, verses 1 through 6, there's a problem. Growth brings problems. Growth is messy. It's a, in some cases, growth can be more of a crisis than shrinking, as far as crisis being points of risk, where there's um, opportunity for failure, if you will. So there's a problem here, and that is the, as the church is growing, a group of people are being neglected. Easy to happen, right? It's easy to happen. It's nice to see that problems existed in the early church as well, because that's a consistent theme throughout history, right? Um, but there's a problem here that a group of people were being neglected, and the 12 apostles clearly recognized, because they saw the implication of it, and the cause and effect of it from Acts 2 to here, they clearly recognize that feeding the poor, feeding the widows is essential 
or, or necessary, but what's most important is preaching the word of God and prayer. And so what they said was, we need help. We need, the, we need help so that we can focus on what we are supposed to be doing. And that's preaching and praying. And we need help with these other important things, which is feeding the needy, feeding the widows. Very important. Not, not, not unimportant, not superfluous, important, essential. We need help. And when those who were um, gifted and able had time to prepare and preach and pray because others were doing other responsibilities, what happened? The church grew. Teaching the word of God is that important that those that teach the word of God have to have time to prepare and pray. It's not something that can be thrown together. And I think uh, Brother Jonathan even mentioned this in, in one of his um, sessions, uh, uh, in one of his lessons, and it's something that's been on my heart for years. Um, we ask a lot of those that labor for uh, in shepherding and teaching. We ask a lot of them. And they're not freed up the way we would see in this particular passage. I think Jonathan referenced some passages in 2 Timothy about double honor uh, for those that teach and shepherd. And what we ask is, uh, you know, you can just look at, at the elders we have now. Bob is retired and has more time on his hands. Jake and John have, I'll throw Josh in there, have demanding jobs. Um, the, and three of them are still raising families. That's a lot. That's a lot. And we ask a lot of them. And the other brothers that, that, that um, preach here, um, perhaps I have it easiest than, than most, but it's a lot to ask someone to work a couple hours a week and prepare messages. And so there's, there's a wisdom <coughs> in being freed up to focus on what the Lord has given you to focus on. And wisdom to know what you should be focused on as well. But the Lord, multi and again, it, the, the word of the Lord continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. There's a cause and effect here. There's a cause and effect between Acts 2.42 and what took place there and here at the beginning of Acts 6. Turn to Acts chapter 9. <coughs> Here's um, a little bit different perspective, but, but the same outcome. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he is Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. Now, of course, they were reluctant. Paul didn't exactly have the best reputation at this particular point in time. He had been a bit of a, a problem persecuting them. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, that he again is Paul, and preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Look, look again, 
what's what's foundational here this preaching the word of god and again you know we 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 go through you know 45 minutes of 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 listening to someone preach the word of god um a lot of seeker friendly churches would call would call that a violent act like you go to some evangelical churches and it's 20 minutes or 25 minutes it's not an extensive bible lesson um, and I think it's great that we still take preaching the Word of God and studying the Bible very seriously here. Um, so we went in and out among them at the Lord at Jerusalem, preaching boldly. The Word of God is meant to be taught authoritatively. It is not an academic lecture. It is not a college class. It is meant to be a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the result being you're conformed more into the image of the Lord Jesus. And he spoke and disputed among the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How did that happen? Barnabas. Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. One brother advocated for another. You could, you could call that fellowship, right? I think you could, if you want to go back to Acts 2.42 and, and pin a biblical term on it, you could call it fellowship. But one brother advocated for another, not for himself, but he basically said, this guy can preach, and this guy's a real disciple which in some cases might have elevated him to, or might have uh, reduced him to a second-rate missionary at that point, or second-rate disciple. But he said, this guy is legit. He's real. He's genuine. And look what happened. Paul was able to go in and out for a period of time, and the church grew. He was able to pr boldly preach the word of God. What we're seeing here is that basic, Biblical principles, when practiced properly, correctly, in accordance with the Word of God, should or has, I'm going to just say this, has led to God-causing growth. Has led to God-causing growth. Acts 12. Now this is an interesting one. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory... And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the, word of, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So what? there's, there's no preaching here. <laughs> so the, the, the growth isn't based on the preaching of the word of God here. The growth is based on God getting the glory. God getting the glory. There is no, we are not in a competition with one another. This is not a competition. It is not 
a part, we are not part of an organization or a body where the opportunities to serve is limited. There is an abundance of opportunity to serve. There is not a scarcity of opportunity to serve. There is an abundance of opportunity to serve. And if we focus on God getting the glory rather than us getting credit or us getting recognized or myself getting credit, myself getting recognized, God will, the word of the God will, word of God will increase and multiply. Now God behaved, God, at the beginning of every dispensation, God's judgment was stricter. And so in the book of Acts, you see Herod being smitten here, or um, struck here. And earlier, you, you know, you saw um, Ananias and Sapphira, right? Where they talked about their land and, and the Lord took care of them. Man, if that happened to us today, <laughs> if, we, if we misspoke today about something, um, twisted it, tweaked it, um, put a spin on it, there wouldn't be a politician alive, and probably none of us in this room would be alive um, if you think about it. Think of how everybody, every politician takes credit for the economy, and they really have nothing to do with it. Like nothing. Like just stay home, stay in your mansion, and just leave us alone, and we'd be better off. But they all take credit for it, and they really have nothing to do with it. Here, God showed that his glory is what should be seen in the local assembly. His glory is what should be seen. And it's not about our own agendas, our own biases, our own um, ministry or recognition. It's about God getting the glory. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. One of the encouraging things as we go through this is I think what we see, and, and I know this is a historical book, but one of the things that we recognize is that it gives us patterns and principles to evaluate, observe, and then implement where appropriate. But what we do see is God wants the church to grow or has caused the church to grow. And yes, there's been waves of it. Um, you know, there are times where in Europe it was an evangelical revi revival. Uh, the British Isles, America, Latin America, or South America, um, the Korea, uh, Koreas and Asia right now. But I think in general, like I believe that this still applies for us today. I believe that if we seek the Lord and we understand his preferred method for functioning, I believe the Lord will do great things among us. I believe that with all my heart. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by, bro by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews 
who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities that they delivered to them for observance, the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now this is a little bit more nuanced to unpack. Turn, just keep your finger there, but turn with me just briefly to 2 Corinthians 6. And verse 3, 2 Corinthians 6, 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riot, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Um, it's good they mentioned sleepless nights there since all of you will be, ha those of you that are involved with Shining Lights will have sleepless nights. The good news is it'll be one hour shorter <laughs> that you'll be not sleeping. Who thought of having long conference over Daylight Savings Weekend? Not only do we get up early Sunday morning, but we got to stay late on Sunday morning. We'll all be like sleeping like this. Just drink lots of coffee. But if you go back to Acts 16 for a moment, what's happening here? Paul wants to continue his journey and he wants to take Timothy. What's the quote-unquote problem with Timothy at this point? He's uncircumcised. Is that a problem in Paul's mind? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, Paul has, would have no issues with that at all. But he's going to preach among a group of Jews and they would have a problem. And yes, you could wrap your head around it, and yes, you could have a philosophical conversation, and yes, you could argue over the fact, well, this is great, Timothy doesn't have to be circumcised, but the point of the matter is, why create an obstacle when there is no obstacle? Right? Why create an obstacle when there doesn't need to be an obstacle? And that's really what 2 Corinthians 6 says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. The evangelical church in America over my lifetime has become increasingly political and increasingly critical of sinners. And that does nothing to bring them to Christ. It does nothing to bring them to Christ. We have an obligation to preach the word of God to make it very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that each and every one of us is incapable of following God on our own. That our disposition is to go our own way. Each and every one of us. And each and every one of us have the flesh. And each and every one of us struggle with something. And our struggles often look different for each other. And there are some sins to us that are uglier than others. And that creates an obstacle at times for the church at large. And I think we need to be really careful that we don't create an obstacle for believers or for unbelievers to hear the gospel and to feel welcomed in the church. Now, that's, a, that's an odd thing because I struggle with that. We've been fortunate to have a couple visitors over the 
the last couple months. And uh, one of my one of the visitors made a point last time that we were here. Dre sent me a text saying, I always feel welcome. And I was so thankful to hear that. You know, he stayed for lunches. People talked to him. Um, I don't even need to really talk to him. There are other brothers that are talking to him. It's been great that they feel welcome. But they also should feel convicted. Um, and the last time that Dre was here, he had on a, a do-rag that he couldn't remove. <laughs> I, I don't know why. He didn't do what he needed to do to his hair that day, but he couldn't remove it. I was like, okay. You know, I was a little nervous because obviously he shouldn't have a covering on. But no reason to put an obstacle in front of him hearing the gospel. No reason to do that. If he gets saved, when he gets saved, we'll have a conversation. Right? <laughs> we'll have a conversation at that point. But again, th this is our family time. And so this, this, this is family time. And this should be where we feel comfortable so that we can be equipped. And if a visitor comes in, he or she may feel uncomfortable. We don't purposely go out of our way to do it, but they may feel uncomfortable. And so that is a little bit of a tension. Like, how do we not put an obstacle in front of someone, but at the same time maintain the integrity of our gathering? And the way that's often done is that the evangelistic part of it takes place outside of this room. It's relational. Um, it's home Bible studies. It's that type of thing where unbelievers should come with all of their messiness and feel at home and feel loved and that's a little harder within family time here right this is family time and it's going to look different and it might not be comfortable to some people but it's mostly important for it to be comfortable for us so what happened when the obstacles were removed and Timothy was circumcised. Again, Paul didn't have an issue with this. Clearly, Timothy was okay with it. The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. There's this pattern. There's this pattern that when you follow biblical principles, when you do things, the do the right things right, God will act, and He will cause growth. Man can cause growth. I've said this uh, probably a hundred times from here. We could fill this up by offering pizza and movies every single Sunday. We'll sing for 30 minutes, we'll preach for 10, and for 30, 40 minutes we'll have a movie, and we, we could be full. But then something's going to change. At some point, pizza's no longer popular, and it's going to need to be sushi, right? Like it's Something's going to change. The Word of God doesn't change. God, God's view of the local church doesn't change. And he, by his grace, he's given us a history account of his dealings with the local church so that we can observe it, we can discern it, and we can determine intentionally what practices and principles we observe there and how we're going to practice it. And I am confident that when we do those things, God will cause the growth. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means. I see what happened in the book of Acts. I love the word multiplied. I love the word multiplied. And things are happening in, in, in um, Denver, Colorado, in Littleton. 
They're on their third church plant. Third church plant in the last 20 years of assemblies that got too big and had to start over. Seems like a good problem to have. So it is happening. It does happen. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do we see? What are we doing? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What does God want us to do differently? And I believe that the Lord will add and bless um, our actions um, as we seek to follow his example. Let's pray. Our Father God, we're so very thankful for what you're doing here in this assembly. We're thankful for the upcoming Shining Lights retreat. We pray that you would give those that are organizing it and preparing for it much help, uh, much grace, strength, that you would keep their week free of stress so that they can focus on that which you've given them to do. Uh, we thank you for the Sunday school class that's taking place downstairs. We pray that you would uh, speak to the children, that they would hear your word in a way that was understandable and that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of your son. We uh, once again lift up our sister Nancy and our brother Dick as they both go through some um, uh, surgeries this coming week. We continue to pray for brother Steve as well, Stephen as well, and just ask, Father, that you would intervene in, in their lives. Um, use this opportunity for your glory and their good, and that you would give them quick and complete recovery. And we just ask, Father, that you would help us to discern what you want us to do, uh, how you want us to grow, how you want us to uh, function, uh, so, that we would, uh, so that you would get all the glory and that we and this uh, valley would benefit. We just give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.